Hi and welcome everyone. I'm Brett Dunstan from Mining Green and today I'm speaking to Richard Back, from, uh, who's a Chief Technical Officer with Bluevein. Uh, Bluevein are developing a dynamic charging technology to help uh, with electrification of mining equipment, uh, both underground and open pit. So welcome Richard and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks very much Brett. So just to start with, um, you know, What's your background and how, how did you end up, you know, working on the Blue Vein team? Yeah, so I'm, I'm an a electrical engineer, um, you know, by, by trade per se, um, working in the mining construction industry. Um, I've known of the organisation Olitech, who, who I essentially work for, who owns the Blue Vein, um, Blue Vein technology. Uh, I've known of them for probably 10 to 15 years, um, been somewhat involved in, in some of their previous projects, um, you know, from probably more of a spectator's view. And, um, you know, just like the things that they did um, in with respect to removing, you know, personnel out of the danger zone, which is, you know, their core business. They work with uh, explosives and work with mining companies to, you know, make mines safer in, in general. So, yeah, really, um, you know, liked what they did. They were, you know, from an engineering perspective, they did sort of, you know, very cutting-edge sort of type development and, um, you know, research. Um, and, you know, I suppose I first really started coming on board in the from the Blue Vein system when um, James, the managing director, contacted me and he said uh, I was working on a rail project at the time and he said, what do you know about, um, you know, pentagraphs and, you know, essentially – electrifying you know underground fleet and uh, my initial response was stay away from it you know that's something you don't want to want to get into uh, and my, my brain went straight to you know open conductor so um, you know that that uh, about a month or two later he, he called me in and said I'll come in and we'll, we'll give you a bit more background of you know what we're, what we're looking at and you know one of our next projects and and that was blue vein and you know he, he gave me a, a good presentation and introduced me to the partnering team over in um, uh, called Avias uh, over in Sweden, who owns all the core technology, and have been developing their system for you know more commercial applications for the past um, you know 10, 10 12 years. Um, I, I really liked, uh, and the, the key difference there was you know that it was a sort of safe IP rated conductor, so overhead conductor. Um, you know something that you know I, I thought would be would be able to be adopted. So it was, for me, the buy-in was, would this be able to be used in the industry? Um, you know, I saw, I saw definitely some some advantages there in, you know, bringing that on board. So this is, we're talking, I suppose, uh, when was it, early 2021? Um, it was when I came on board with full-time with Blue Vein and, yeah, I've been here ever since. You probably sort of covered it, but, you know, you know what, where the, you know, the idea behind the, you know, tech, you know the, the, the blue veining technology and what the why it was developed. I suppose it came from Avias and working with um, Olitech and whatever, but you know, how that sort of came about. Yeah, so originally I suppose like we're going all the way to sort of 2010 here where, um, you know, the, the, develop, the, the main developer, um, you know, created a company, so a guy by the name of Gunnar Asplund, um, you know, based in Sweden, he developed or started thinking about, um, you know, this electric um, car. So electric cars were starting to hit the market. Um, they were really in their infancy. Um, and he, he looked at that as, you know, what what is the way, what is a way that we can get, you know, more energy delivered to these cars while they're moving? 
Um, so he developed essentially, um, you know, or started trialing essentially a system that, you know, safely connected to, um, you know, vehicles and, and dynamically charged, so charging on the go. Um, and basically, you know, over the past 10 years, you know, has developed that into, um, you know, a, a safe system compared to, you know, an open conductor system, you know, being uh, delivery onto vehicles was, you know, very new. Obviously, the railway industry has been doing this for probably over a century, um, you know, trams and, and, you know, I suppose extending to buses. But um, from a from a vehicle sense, that's, you know, relatively new. At the time, uh, even he said he he, str- he was reaching out to the community and a lot of people were, were saying that he was crazy and it would never be adopted and, you know, we're very much in, in the fossil fuels mindset um, even, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so... You know, that's probably the birth of, of it is um, really from, you know, Gunnar. Um, he has to take a lot of credit for, you know, getting us to the place that we're in. I, I don't think that, um, you know, we, we certainly wouldn't be in the position we are uh, without the work that he's done. Um, Elways, the name Elways is, is now changed to uh, Avias and, and he's still a core member of that team, technical team. And, and yeah, we, we talk, you know, frequently about, you know, he, he very much, they very much focus on, uh, more commercial industrial applications where we focus on you know mining applications here here in Australia so there are there is a lot of cross-pollination between the two technologies and um, you know we, we definitely talk you know um, very frequently about different ways and different things and how we see the market changing um, how we see our technology um, being adopted into those markets and you know really focusing on sort of a simple simple solution. Um, we've, we've looked out in the industry, our first research in the industry was looking out at, you know, how has this done before? And, and we have seen, you know, some of these, you know, in, in the eighties, you could say for the Karuna truck system was something that we always go back to because it was the first real dynamic charging type of a solution or overhead pentagraph solution in the mining industry. Um, you know, we saw that as an awesome Mark one, um, you know, dynamic sort of charge or overhead delivery system. But, um, you know, always were wondered why it never t- took off and why it never, um, you know, met its Mark II, Mark III and, you know, continued to evolve. Um, and, you know, I think the mining industry in general, those who, who were aware of that system were, were of the same opinion and the same view. So we spent a lot of time with, um, you know, the mining industry when we first kicked off, A, to find out whether there was an actual market for it Um you know, we, we are a small company, so it's not like we um, we want to invest. A, we don't we don't have the budgets of the you know Volvos, the Epirocs, the Sandvics to you know invest you know huge amount of time and money into you know sort of sandbox type stuff. Um, we need to find out whether it's real, see whether there's a need and value in the market for it, um, and we do that by um, our direct relationship that we've got with a lot of um, mining operators and mining partners. And, you know, we, we got a lot of feedback from them of why they didn't like, you know, say the Corona truck system, um, but how it needed to be better. And we've based our requirements around, um, you know, how do we make that better and how do we get to, you know, a, a Mark II version of an overhead um, you know, delivery system for, you know, charging uh, electric vehicles. I think, you know, it's probably been quite an evolution over the years from, you know, initial concepts to what you've got now going underground and the open pit and your different sort of solutions going there. So it's probably, you know, 
ongoing process. Is it pretty settled with it where the technology is going now though? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we, we definitely started um, primarily uh, focusing on the uh, underground, uh, in the underground space. Um, we, in the early days, we steered clear of the above ground space purely for the fact that um, we, we didn't think that we had a position in the market there. Um, the charge joint innovation challenge came along. We, I suppose, agonized over uh, a submission into that, um, into that challenge for, you know, probably a couple of months. Um, and that was really you know, understanding that that was going to be a lot of time and effort to you know, put a put a valued submission in. Um, we weren't sure whether you know when we're looking at differentiation in the market whether that was a place for us. There was already overhead um, you know hybrid um, systems out there for those um, those you know mines who wanted to go electric. Um, the battery, the vehicles in the above ground space weren't you know, I suppose, up to the level where they are in the underground space. Uh, there's a huge range of different sizes of vehicles to play in in the above ground space. Um, and it was really that um, that connection that we have with the industry that, you know, we talked to a few of our, our, our mining partners um, in the underground solution and, and, you know, they actually came to us and said, you know, we do see merit for your solution in, in the above ground space. So we, we discussed that with them and then, you know, had um, decided to put a submission in, um, and you know, ended up you know being quite successful in that submission, and and yeah, so the the above ground space is is uh, in parallel, um, starting to really grow grow legs for us. Um, so we're not only focusing on underground anymore, we're also focusing on on above ground. But um, you know, it, it's it's a whole different ball game when you're talking in the size of vehicles in the above ground space. I suppose it's a resourcing too. Like there's only still a fairly small team, so you know. You don't want to go and spread yourself too thin. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're, we're super cognizant of that. You know, we, we've not, you know, Blue Vein isn't our only projects, that, only project that we work on. Um, you know, we've got a number of other projects that are on the go in parallel. It enables us to be fairly dynamic being a small small organization. We're dynamic, we're flexible, we can move quite quickly, we can transfer people in and out of teams, um, you know, quite effectively and efficiently. Um, you know, everyone in the organization knows what's going on. Um, with different projects, and um, you know that enables us to get people up to speed uh, quicker. Um, we we follow, I suppose, in the early days, we followed very much a you know project management style of delivery of projects, and and we realised that uh, after a short term that that didn't work so well when you're working in you know the R and D space. So we we started adopting the um, you know, TRL, so technology readiness levels. You know, one to nine, essentially one being I've got an idea, nine being I've got a commercial solution, and that's really to to step us through those progressive stages um, of development, so that we know essentially if if there are issues, we can solve them as as we move along, and we're, we're not finding them, I suppose, at the end of the project. So. Um, you know, a common saying is we're not we're not building a fridge. Um, you know, it's 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 something new. We've, we're doing investigations all the time. We're we're reaching out to you know other partners all the time as well, and finding you know as much information as we can so that we reduce rework and reduce the amount of time and effort that we spend on, I suppose, failed or flawed solutions. How far along those technical those TRL levels are they? Are you with the, the technology? Yeah, so our underground, uh, our underground position, we're in tier four at the moment. So tier four is all about integration, 
Um, you know, we were tier old three, which which we uh, finalised uh, end of last year, was um, really proof of concept. So we built a you know what we call the the pentagraph. We we call the hammer. So we we built a hammer um, so it could essentially connect. Um, you know, through a guidance and vision system, so taking a lot of the control away from the the owner. So very much the proof was, you know, could we connect automatically? Um, could we, um, you know, connect on the go? So while this thing's moving, and would it be a reliable reliable connection? Um, tier three doesn't in that stage. You don't, uh, you know, buy the book. You don't have to build a, a full scale model, um, but we chose to do that uh, because we. You know, we understood that that would be more beneficial for a future development, um, and that's basically where where we're starting in in you know, where we've started in TRL four is looking at that initial concept, the the you know, full scale model, and working out how to make that better. So it's not only proving, but it's also you know making making the solution you know um, better, more efficient, um, obviously reducing size, costs, weight, etc. Um, that'll you know, help us get to market as soon as possible. Right. I just want to take a step back, a sort of you know, a bit of a different path. But like, some, like some of the benefits of Blue Vein compared to just sort of straight battery systems or the like. You know, what? Why is, why is it? You know, I suppose it's different technology. But why is it, you know why is Blue Vein beneficial? Yeah. So we saw, I suppose, in our early investigations, um, you know. We quickly found out in the underground space uh, players such as you know Epiroc and Sandvik um, had already created battery electric you know vehicles. Um, there's there was a huge focus on um, fast charging uh, at, and battery swapping at the time. We looked at those solutions and you know while um, you know it, it was you know great to see you know, what these organisations were doing and, you know, how far progressed and, you know, the foresight that they had, um, you know, they'd already developed these vehicles before, like long before or started the journey long before we came along. Um, but we were always concerned about um, battery swapping, um, understanding what mine operators required. They need, you know, robust haul cycles and reliable haul cycles um, being able to, you know, swap vehicles, you know, swap batteries on vehicles takes time, may introduce more vehicles into their fleet, uh, which, you know, is an, is an additional um, capex and opex cost. Um, so, you know, really we honed in on, you know, wh- why do we need such a large battery source on board? How do we eliminate, you know, we're all about eliminating the problem. Um if the the organisations or the mining partners see as in that battery swapping and the the time it takes and you know the fast charging and the increase in in the the overall network to deal with peak demand um, of fast charging, you know how do we eliminate those solutions? And essentially, you know it all boiled down to well we've got to deliver power to the vehicle while it's moving. Um, so that's essentially I suppose the, the the problem statement that we started off with was um, you know how do we actually how do we actually deliver this? You know, stop the the, the inefficiencies associated with um, you know swapping batteries and you know reducing the costs of you know not only batteries because you need say two to three batteries per vehicle as as they're charging and as the as the vehicle is is on its cycle um, to you know how do we deliver that um, charge to the vehicle while it's moving? Um, we quickly found out if we could if we could do that. 
um, we not only reduce the additional batteries that are required, we could actually reduce the onboard battery as well. Um, looking at the costs of battery electric vehicles, the, the, the batteries are a huge component of that. Um, you know, their, their weight as well. Um, these things are sort of six to eight tonnes. If we can, you know, cut them by, you know, 30, 30 or 40%, you know, that's only not only a huge cost saving, it's a weight saving. Um, we could use that space that we've created for our onboard equipment. Um, so there was a lot of benefits there uh, and it was all about finding the right solution. We knew we didn't want to go open conductor uh, because that had been trialled before and, and wasn't broadly recognised as, as the right path either. Um, so, and that's basically led us to, you know, working with the, the team in Sweden, uh, the Vice team. We really liked their, their solution. We saw that that could be, you know, adopted from more of a commercial um, you know, solution into into a mining uh, solution. Yeah. And so, yeah, like the blue vein, you, you really have running on sort of your, your declines or your whole ramps coming up and, you know, up and down the pit or the underground. That's you know, right. You wouldn't necessarily have it on levels and your flat sort of halls. It's really about getting that, you know, where you need the power going, going up. Yeah, definitely. It's all about... Um, we still, still want to utilize the battery on the flats. We don't want to um, make this a pure dynamic charge everywhere, you know, the, the, everywhere on the cycle. Um, but it's, yeah, it's about taking out the biggest load area of the vehicle in the cycle. So that biggest load area is ten, generally up the incline fully loaded. Um, if we can um, charge the battery as well as drive the traction motor, it takes a lot of stress off the battery as well. So battery life is, is extremely important. So with fast charging, that reduces your battery life. Um, essentially puts a lot of stress on, on the individual cells once you have cell failure. Or, or And when you're talking about onboard vehicle batteries, they need such um, – the battery isn't doesn't per se fail. Um, it just degrades to a certain level where it can be repurposed for you know, other means, such as storage and the like. Uh, but it's not like a car battery where you can run it until it's dead. Uh, and then just swap it out. So um, it, it, it gets to a point where, you know, you've stressed that battery enough that you need to, you know, essentially remove it. It might still be able to be repurposed um, for other means such as storage. But, you know, we, we very much focused on, you know, if we can get, you know, instead of using three batteries, you know, on one cycle, if we could use, you know, let's say, you know, a quarter or half of, of, of a battery's, um, you know, cycle because they only have a set amount of, you know, charge up, charge down times. Um, if we could reduce that, we increase the life. You know, we can we can sort of start doubling life lives of battery. Then, you know, that directs right, uh, relates directly into halving costs of batteries as well. So, um, you know, we're, we're very cognizant that, you know, the world is changing to, you know, very lithium-ion heavy style um, solutions for, you know, transport and e-mobility. Um, the more and more we move to every household having, you know, electric car, the less lithium-ion there is out there. So um, there's only, a, it, it again is a finite resource and, um, you know, the rarer it becomes, the more expensive it, it becomes. So the ability to, you know, look after that, um, that resource on the vehicles as much as possible, um, there's a lot of companies out there looking at recycling as well and repurposing. Um, I know the, the dealings that we've had with uh, Epiroc, they're very much looking at, you know, um, you know, batteries and, you know, maintaining that as, as a service, repurposing, recycling, 
Um, one advantage of the lithium ion is that it, it can be recycled extremely efficient, if extremely efficiently. Um, however, you do need the infrastructure to recycle it. So there's, there's not recycling stations you know, everywhere at the moment, and there's a lot of technology development happening in that space as well. Um, and then, you know, it's making sure that the recycling of these batteries is, is done cleanly and efficiently. There's a lot of, um, I suppose, um, ways to recycle that aren't, I suppose, environmentally friendly, which is counterintuitive to what we're trying to achieve uh, as well. Yeah. So um, have you had any big challenges bringing sort of the technology to the market, getting it, getting it to the next level where it can be used out there? Yeah, so I suppose the size of the organisation we're at, we you know we completely understand our place in the market. You know, we're a developer, we're not a we're not a commercialisation. You know, I suppose entity that's not not our core skill set. Um, we use the the mantra of standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, so we you know partnering is a huge uh, huge part of you know our our success and making sure that we've got the right partners to deal with. Um, so that once we develop this solution to a you know a, a reliable level, um, and and we're happy to to progress to market, that we have the ability to you know leverage you know the the organisations and the the business units that they already have in place, uh, and and the knowledge and the know how and the connections that they already have in place to to be able to get to market. So you know we we realise that we're not we're not going to be be the, at the end of the day we're not going to be the distributors. Um, but we need to make sure that we have the correct partners in place to, um, you know, get that, you know, product out there. Um, huge advantage for us um, in the Blue Vein Underground project. We we have a consortium um, consisting of, you know, uh, eight mining partners um, that are, you know, financially invested in the solution as well. Um, so we, we, you know, that, that tells us that there's a market there. Um, you know, I suppose the biggest question we get is when can we have it? Uh, so, which is which is always a good problem to have, um, and you know we've just got to work through those development stages to get there. Being able to you know create a solution and then you know is one you know is, is, is one area, but getting it to market is completely different, and, and that's why we've we've leveraged um, you know the work that we've we've um, and the partnering we've done with OEMs such as you know Epiroc, um, Sandvik, McLean Engineering, and Volvo. Uh, which are really the key players uh, for us from OEM's perspective. Um, you know, we see them as the final, you know, essentially users and adopters, and we need to take in, into consideration, um, you know, their requirements as well. Uh, they, we, you completely understand, they can't be, you know, creating a bespoke vehicle for, you know, Blue Vein. You know, we need to be able to adopt into into their vehicle. Um, that reduces costs and enables if someone wants to, you know. Have an open conductor solution, say from a you know Siemens ABB or the like, or whether it's a blue band solution, it's still the same vehicle. So making it as easily and effectively to um, essentially buy a kit of parts, um, you know, doesn't matter which solution it is, but making sure you have um, an, an interoperable solution there for um, the OEMs to be able to and the, and the mine organisations to be able to to use um, for whichever you know whichever solution that they see fit to use. Yeah. So you mentioned like the you know the eight nine companies that are mining companies that are backing Blue Vein like they they're pretty keen to see the technology get it out get out on site. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like I said, we we have weekly meetings with the um, yeah currently eight partners. We've had uh, South Thirty Two just joined, so we had eight partners in TRL three. Um, we we go by a stage by stage process. So eight partners in TRL three, um, in TRL four, uh, South Thirty Two. 
uh, came on board. So there, um, you know, we've, we spent probably a little bit of time with them playing, you know, catch up and educating them on what happened in previous stages of the project. But, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, I suppose it, we, we have that problem that we're, I suppose, at, at capacity at the moment. Um, you know, more and more partners uh, causes us more stakeholders to manage, and you know, it, it's a it's an additional reliance on on our team to make sure that we're we're taking all the considerations from those those partners. We have a lot of um, you know, we went through a stage in, in our early days in sort of two thousand and one to um, you know really go out to market and and. Um, I suppose sell the solution and market the solution and, and see what interest was out there. Um, you know that completely changed mid last year, where you know the the you know, electric mine revolution sort of suddenly became the top of everyone's priority list from uh, from our mine operators' perspective. And you know all of a sudden it's it's probably one of the first times we've we've really seen um, you know the global mining community all move as one to you know a, a, a final goal to achieve a final goal so you know that happened quite quickly as soon as that happened um it, it, we went from you know selling to um and educating uh, education was a big big part of our early um early discussions to you know really you know talking you know getting the knocks on the door and getting the cold calls about you know wanting to know more about the solution our presentations changed from change from educating to just informing um, because people were already starting to educate themselves on all the different solutions uh, that were available out there and and trying to figure out really how to go go electric and the best ways to go electric um, that really you know stemmed out of 2030 targets set by companies 2050 targets set by companies and you know developing internal sort of business units to you know go out into the industry find out what the what solutions are out there and and you know I suppose the industry is really in a in a position at the moment where I feel they're trying to find their feet a little bit as well they're trying to see which horse to back um, there's a lot of of um, you know, different solutions out there. And I suppose there's a lot of um, miscommunications around how successful some of these solutions, you know, could be or, or where they are at the stages in, in their development. Um, you know, we we want to make sure that we're pretty honest in, in where we're at in our development and where we want to be. Um, and, you know, having, you know, our partners on board from the mine operators, that that really makes us, you know, sets us uh, up to make sure that we're, we're open and honest with them about where we're headed um, and it's really, you know, working with those early adopters to start with to to make sure that we develop a solution for their needs. We don't so independently run away develop a solution that just isn't isn't viable for for the uh, for the industry. It's making sure it fits the purpose of yeah, what it's been it needs developed to be for. fit for yeah. purpose, definitely. Yeah. So it sounds like you know you've got your your key, you know companies backing you but like if you want you know there'd be there'd be more if you wanted to stuff but it's a balancing act between supporting them and actually just getting the technology developed and ready to go yeah definitely and it's, it's knowing when you're at capacity um you know we we, we have you know if, if you'd have told if told me in you know 2020 early 2021 that we would have had you know eight nine partners backing us um you know i would have said well i'll be, I'll be i think we might have four um so you know having that uh, i remember the first call that we had 
um, when we put the consortium together, essentially we, we got off that call and, you know, really looked at each other and went, wow, that's impressive having the likes of, you know, your BHPs, your Varlage, Glencore, Newcrest, uh, Nico Eagles, you know, Oz, uh, on those calls, you know, all together is, you know, was representatives from each one of those, all, you know, competitors, you know, all working together to, to develop a solution, you know. And that was probably the biggest surprise for me when I first started. It was that the mining companies were, you know, less about competition and more about give us the solution. You know, we this is a problem. We don't care who we need to deal with and who we need to work with. Just get us the solution. And, you know, that's, um, you know, a really from an engineering perspective, that's a, you know, really great position to be in where everyone's sort of trying to push for the goal and not trying to sort of jostle for position per se. Yeah, a bit more co- collaboration, less yeah, competition because it's definitely you know, probably getting plenty, plenty of space in the market for everyone. So, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Blue Vein compared to other trolley systems, like what some of the big benefits, I suppose, it's compared to what you got, what has been done in the past. I think you, you covered to a little degree, but. Yes, yeah. So, like open conductors, um, you know, obviously I, I spoke of that that earlier, but open conductors was always always a concern. We we knew that if we went with an open conductor solution, that would that's been tried and tested before. Um, you know, the mining industry, you know, being you know very safety conscious, um, just see problems with open conductor solutions, and um, it only works in certain situations as well, um, where essentially you've got a really long straight. Um, you know, haul haul road, um, trying to manoeuvre around switchbacks, etc., is quite you know a concern for an open conductor solution. Um, so, you know, we, that's where we we looked at our advantage over other dynamic charging solutions. And, and to be honest, there's there's not really many many out there. So, um, I think it's one of those things where the industry got caught, I suppose, a little bit deer in the headlights with that's the way way that the railway's been doing it for. You know, 100 years, that's the only way that it can be done. So, um, you know, that's where we look at things, I suppose, a little bit differently. And just because it's been done for 100 years doesn't mean it's the right way, you know, to, to do it. Um, and looked at different options around how can we do it. You know, we, we're not about, we're not about, it. we need, the solution isn't the final answer. It's, it's the right solution is the final answer. Um, so, you know, we've gone down the school of hard knocks of developing solutions in the past um, that, you know, we think are great, but then you go to industry and industry says, well, that kind of doesn't really work for us or that's not how we do things. Um, so, you know, making sure that, you know, we took on board the, the concerns that the industry had and said, well, well, you know, that's really the requirements that we need to work around. You know, what are the solutions out there that can meet all those requirements? Do you think is it far off being actually tested, tested out on site? Like, you know. Yeah. So we've we've uh, so Interior Four, Interior Five is really our our integration piece. So that's where we integrate into a, a vehicle. We've um, signed an MOU, which is you know public information. We've signed an MOU with EpiRock um, to supply us a vehicle for that test site. Um, so we're they, they're underway, and we're having weekly meetings on that integration piece uh, at the moment with with EpiRock. So they're on board. They've invested a considerable, um, you know, a considerable investment to to get us that vehicle. It's it's not like battery electric vehicles are a you know readily available. They're not definitely not readily available in Australia. So you know, when you're talking about you know logistics and even just getting us the vehicle on on site, um, that you know is a huge feat. So you know that's 
you know, I suppose another gives us a hell of a lot of confidence that they see, you know, a company like Epiroxy huge value. Um, they're ready to invest and, you know, make sure that we we have all the components that we need. The vehicle is a is a is a big part of that um, to actually get you know get to the trial site. Um, so you know we're aiming trial site sort of quarter one, quarter two next year. Um, we're in the process of developing our trial sites at the moment, um, and you know working towards um, proving us at tier or six. So that's where we do our development. Um, you know for our first first prototype. Um, on, on an integrated vehicle, uh, and then TRL7 is our, our final adoption. So we're looking at a few different sites that, um, you know, makes it easier for us, easy for us to move from TRL6 uh, being, you know, the real you know, test, initial test, to TRL7, which is essentially an, an simulated in operational environment. Right. That's a good show of support that they're willing to give you a piece of gear because they're definitely – they're not cheap and they're not easy to get hold of. And there's a line I was speaking to over day is that the, the big one of the big challenges is the the price and the getting hold of the equipment. So if you can get hold of one, then that's a you know definitely a big big help. Yeah, definitely. And we've got I suppose Volvo are the uh, sorry uh, Epiroc are the you know leaders in that space. We do have um, you know the other companies that we're talking to you know Volvo Epiroc. Sandvik um, are also in the midst of you know, looking at seeing what they can do for us from supplying us you know, vehicles. So um, we're all about being agnostic, uh, making sure that we can adopt to multiple vehicles, not just just one. Um, but yeah, you know, with the MOU that we signed with Epiroc, that gave us you know a real real confidence that we would reach our targets to get to our test site. Hopefully, testing first half of next year. Like how how. You know, if testing does go well, how soon do you think you'd be able to start rolling it out a bit more broadly? Yeah, definitely. I suppose the um, for us, we can. I suppose we can we can move as as much as the support that we get as much as fast as the support that we get. So um, we've got really good support. Obviously, that commercialization space is 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 probably the which we get into TRL eight and TRL nine. That's the space that is really I see there's the the unknown or the limiting factor as, as in uh, deploying. We're working with the mining companies at the moment to look at their reticulation systems, seeing whether um, you know they're up to scratch for to be able to you know adopt as easily and effectively enough. You know we've got essentially three different scenarios when we're talking mining. We've got you know greenfields, which is you know. Best case scenario, it means we've, we've got a clean sheet of paper to start with uh, for our development. We've got brownfields, which poses different different problems around, you know, integrating with an existing uh, network um, and, and and changeover of, of existing fleet, uh, which which is going to be an expensive exercise, and um, you know, satellite deposits. So uh, the Kroner truck system was was developed to to essentially get to a satellite deposit, reduce the amount of ventilation required. Um, Due to, to diesel emitters uh, and getting to those those deposits, so those are the three scenarios we're really looking at. And and part of our site studies that we're working with the the partners on is really looking at you know how do we adopt into those three different um, you know mining um, mining scenarios. Um, what are the costs there to upgrade your reticulation, or what are the changes that need need to occur from drive drive development. Um, and then you know, really, it's it's about 
our, our partners going away and and looking at that feasibility around you know being able to deploy and, and we're very much uh, we're never saying that we're everything for everyone um, you know there are there are different mindsets out there where you know fast charging uh, you know, the battery swap solution you know maybe maybe the right answer um, we're not about you know saying that this is the way that the whole industry is going to go there is different organizations that obviously are heavily backing heavily backing hydrogen and see that as the way to go um, so we we are really all about making sure that we're developing you know the right solution for the right scenario so when we get questions um, like you know very i suppose generic questions it's it's really a case-by-case case scenario we we're also working with you know rpm global um, on simulation around you know making sure that we've got you know the, the metrics from the OEMs in those simulation pieces, so that you know the mining companies have the tools at hand to you know start you know assessing it. Do we need a dynamic charging solution? Do we need a static charging solution? What is the best benefits for us? Because if it's not if it's not feasible, it's not going to be adopted. Um, so we need to make sure that we focus on the feasibility and the, and the, the the right the right tool for the right task, essentially. Yeah, uh, it's definitely. You know, no two mines will be the same. So it's like being able to, you know, it's almost tailing it site by site, like you said. And like, yeah, you know, definitely. You know, when you're talking electrification, a lot of mines, you know, might be trying to reduce their declines because it is, you know, harder to electrify. But yeah, be, hopefully, as long as you, as long as you, you be out there on enough sites that I'm sure make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. Recently, you saw that uh, you believe in one of the one of the was that eight winners in the charge on challenge um you know how, how was it being part of part of that yeah really interesting um uh like i said said previously we we didn't think that we really had a, a place in the market in the open open space it poses different problems with respect to um you know size of vehicles or range of size of vehicles and you know that that has an effect on the power delivery um you know ranges for those vehicles as well uh, which are problems that we didn't have as much in the underground space. Underground space, obviously, because of the the decline size. You know, you can only fit a certain size vehicle in in that space. Declines are, you know, the profiles are fairly common in, in underground mines. So, you know, we knew what vehicles we did had to deal with. We got to uh, a final solution with respect to um, size of. Um, essentially capacity of of the network and and ability to deliver you know a certain voltage and current to the rail um from our power delivery sense it was all in the above ground space it's really we're in the stages at the moment of working with the, you know the, the partners to figure out what is that um what is the power what are the power requirements um different mine sites have different vehicle sizing ranging from say 140 ton all the way up to 360 ton um, different vehicle spacings um, require, you know, different loads on the rails. Um, so we've really kicked off uh, looking at some of those early problems and and getting a baseline for the solution. Now, it could, you know, the, the above ground solution could split into, um, you know, we could use essentially the same technology to split into two different, um, you know, sizings. It's um, it doesn't mean that we can just go into the CAD, CAD model and, and and press enhance and you know we've got two different two different size models, but um, you know or two different solutions there of different you know power delivery sizes. But um, you know making sure that we've got a, a, an understanding first of 
of what the requirements are so we can we can define our specific development requirements so we're very heavily requirements focused we need to get that right at the start of the um uh, of our project development to make sure that we don't um you know reduces our rework along the way when everyone whenever someone comes along with new information halfway through your projects it's always uh fraught with danger it, it does happen and it's, it happens a lot um but it, it has it has an opportunity to completely change the solution so we're treading i suppose very carefully um given that we're above essentially we're venturing into hv so high voltage uh delivery uh, poses a whole uh, whole set of challenges and risks associated with um being able to deliver hv to a vehicle um but you know definitely not insurmountable and we, we definitely see a, an opportunity there with um it, it's more of a, a side side mount solution rather than a than overhead solution reduces on infrastructure reduces on on costs makes it more flexible to to move to the sites um when we first started we didn't realize how flexible the sites had to be how often they changed their haul roads um you know if they needed to get a big shovel down to a certain location they couldn't use the same haul road as their their dynamic charging solution because of the overhead overhead lines and the, the, you know the potential to strike those overhead lines so you know we we soon figured out that working with uh, our partners in um in the charge on innovation challenge and the patrons in the innovation challenge that you know we we could supply some really good solutions and some innovative solutions around that and and, and i suppose they saw that before we did to be honest um you know and that's that's the reason why we're we're still involved today yep so it, it is so believe it can be sort of i don't module in a way where it can change and adapt you know it's easy to sort of take sections out or, or something like that to be able to modify if you have all roads or whatever changes yeah definitely and, and that was really a um you know the the vice team um over in sweden had developed that for their sort of commercial solution um and they looked at it from a sense well if we're, we're installing um you know rail in public roads you know, we can't shut the road down for three months while we're installing this. This needs to happen on night shifts and, you know, we need to be quick and efficient. So part of their design was essentially, um, you know, long sections of rail uh, where that could be brought to, to the work front uh, on, say, a flatbed truck, craned off, um, put in the ground as quickly and efficiently as possible and moved on. So they were all about kilometres of delivery per shift um which you know really carried into our design development as well and that's sort of where we started as well knowing that we can't stop a mine's operations for three months while we're we um you know deploy the rail um we need to be able to integrate with the mine operators and you know work out sort of specific shift times and the ability to work in with them to deploy as quickly as possible and that's where we focus on you know the modular um a modular style system um, removable, relocatable. Essentially, everything's in a in a confined rail. Essentially, you unbolt, relocate, rebolt. Even looking at footings, um, support infrastructure in the above ground space. How we can, you know, um, how we can reduce the amount of, I suppose, digging that's required for those footings, um, and being able to, you know, fix those fix that you know civil infrastructure per se and, and structural infrastructure in place so it can be relocatable as well yeah that's no, definitely yeah uh, you know good to see because it's probably you know you ask for trouble if you did make it sort of one long 
one little ribbon, so to speak, that you know you have one, an issue, whether on one part or if you you know change the route, then it's just going to be yeah, it'd be a major headache. So if you can make it so it's modular like that, it'll definitely uh, easy implement implementation and any maintenance and all that those sorts of issues. So yeah, um, yeah. So I suppose now you you're really working with those patrons to get it to the next step, you know, in the open pit side of things. And it's, it is interesting because it is like an order, order of magnitude bigger, going from like 50 tonne trucks underground to two, 300 tonnes. That I suppose it's how much, getting how much power can you, you, you deliver down that rail and, you know, to power that along. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's, you know, that, that's where we like focusing on you know, let's get that requirement of what's the power required and delivery because everyone, you know, everyone has different mind sites. So once again, it's it's very bespoke depending on what your operations look like um, from haul cycles perspective. That starts from a reticulation. Um, we see in this area fast charging once again as, as, you know, the requirement for your reticulation is going to be so big um, as well. You know, fast charging will, you know, increase the peaks on your, um, on your articulation that required on site. So being able to reduce that, you know, reduces costs and, and the ability to get power. You know, we're having all sorts of issues around pet with power at the moment in Australia, um, you know, from a suburban sort of retail sense, you know, a mine site coming and saying, you know, I need an extra, you know, 10, 20 megawatts delivery to, you know, my site in whether it be the Pilbara or central Queensland you know, um, you know the capacity just may not be there. So there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built, and to make sure that that capacity is is available and reliable. Yeah. So it's knowing how big the fleets are and how much power they need, and then you go, oh shit, can we actually deliver that much <laughs> that much power? Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. You know, you 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 ring up the network provider, and you know, for love nor money, you know, that's that's not happening quickly. Um, so, you know, there is definitely, um, there's definitely organisations out there that we're, we're dealing with that, that are focused on that. Um, they see that as a big problem in their place and their solution, uh, that their ability to provide that knowledge and know-how and, and opportunity to, to solve some of those problems. Now, and I suppose rolling it out open pit would be, you know, seeing how you go with the underground trials and I'm sure that your patrons you've got there are pretty keen to get it out, but it'd be, yeah. Sometime, sometime in the next couple of years, but it's really you know to see how those it develops on those TRLs. Yeah, definitely, and and it's not like where they've got you know three hundred and sixty ton battery, you know electric vehicles coming off the uh, production line either. So we're, we're looking at that as very much a staged approach. You know, we might go hybrid to start with. Um, you know, if we reduce, let's say, if we start reducing everyone's uh, emissions by you know 30, 40 percent, you know that's a huge success. That's that's everyone's target by you know twenty thirty. Um, so that might start off as hybrid. Um, we're not, I suppose, we're not saying that, you know, the above ground solution is going to be battery electric. We're, we're sort of focusing on, you know, there will be a fuel cell of some sort, whether that, you know, hydrogen, you know, takes over in the above ground space and, you know, you need, you need a large amount of electricity to create, you know, your hydrogen cell as well. So um, just because you've got hydrogen, electricity doesn't, doesn't go away. Um, you know, hydrogen, uses electricity but not it's less efficient um so you know we also have the mantra that if you've got electricity available just use it don't make it less efficient and then use it uh, deliver it to the system but that being said if we're going to 
you know, um, green solutions, you know, wind, solar, they are unreliable. They don't, you know, solar, obviously you need some storage if you've, if you've got nighttime operations. So, um, you know, we, we do see, you know, things like hydrogen or other technologies as potential, you know, energy sources to, to keep that uh, or to level out um, you know the power requirements as as you need them. You know in the downtimes for if you've got a large solar um, solar farm feeding your your site, well you're going to need some storage for for night. So we see that as sort of more you know potential potential above ground sort of power solution uh, for storage rather than you know direct, direct delivery into the vehicle as well. All right, no, that all sounds good, but I think that's pretty well all I've got. We've probably cover a little bit more than I had on my initial list, but no, thanks for your, thanks for your time and all that. And I just, yeah, anything, any last comments you have? You know, you think you probably covered most stuff, but anything Yeah, else? no, I think, I think I've, I've, talk, I've spoken enough. Um, <laughs> no, it was, you know, very, thanks for, for inviting me along. Um, you know, it's a topic that, you know, we've seen huge interest in over the last sort of 12 months and, you know, I suppose continue watching our development and, um, you know, hopefully we can, we can uh, start getting some, some good meter out there with regards to our trial site next year and, you know, the work that we're carrying out with our OEMs and then the work that we're carrying out in the, uh, the open pit space. All right. No worries. Thank, thanks, uh, thanks for your time today. Cheers. Too easy. Thanks, Thank bro. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Green, where we share inspiring stories of how the mining industry is leading the way to a net zero future. Don't forget to subscribe down below and please feel free to leave any feedback you might have in the comment section below. Until next time, see you then.